All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 14 through 30 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 30. And when you get there one more time this morning, if you would stand as we give reverence to reading the living and powerful Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 30. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you to Epaphroditus, to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and your minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You can be seated. In this letter to the Philippians, I want to remind you, if you've been with us as we went through this letter, I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul is talking to a church here that he really wants to hear that this church is standing firm in the truth of God's Word. He wants to hear that they are standing firm in unity together as they help each other grow in the faith of the gospel. He wants to hear that they're striving side by side to attain the faith and the maturity of Christ Jesus. He wants to hear that they are putting away all selfish ambition and that they are putting away all conceit and that they're counting others as more significant than their self, and they're, they're working together as a church. It, this whole letter 
is about Paul's concern for the church and how the church operates and how it grows together in the faith. And he is anxious. Notice what he said again in Philippians chapter 2 verse, um, verse 28. He said, I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. In other words, he knows that if he gets to send Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus gets to Philippi, then he knows that there is a man that he trusts that is going to help lead this church and is going to help teach this church. And he's going to know that they are more likely to be standing firm together and growing together in faith if they have a person that genuinely cares for the church. Same thing he said about Timothy. Notice what he said about Timothy in verse 19. In verse 19 he said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Why would he be cheered? Look at verse 20. For I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So here again we see the whole point of this message that we're reading is that Paul has a desire for the church to have people in it that have a genuine concern for what is supposed to take place in the church. Does everybody see that? Again, this whole letter is about Paul wants the Philippians to know, yes, I'm in prison, yes, I'm suffering, but I'm doing fine. Paul wants them to know that the gospel is actually advancing through, through our suffering. And then Paul wants them to know, my concern is not for my suffering. My concern is for your church. My concern is that you're growing in faith. My concern is that you're counting each other as more significant than yourself. My concern is that you're using your gifts one to another and you're, you're growing together. You know, I say this a lot, but I hope you understand this. I know that the work out there is important. I do. I don't think for one second that we ought to keep anything that we get in here inside of these walls. No, let's take it to Guatemala, let's take it to Africa, let's take, it, let's take the gospel message anywhere that we have opportunity to take it. But I also don't want you to lose sight on how vital the work that we do right inside of this building, how vital it is. And I'm hoping that you're seeing that as we look at what we're doing in Philippians right here. One of the things I want to talk to you about, here's the title of my message if you're taking notes. Wanted, Christians who seek the interests of Christ. Wanted, Christians who seek the interests of Christ. Would you agree with me as we've read these passages that the Apostle Paul has a wanted sign up here that says, I want Christians who are genuinely concerned about the welfare of the church. And so here we see a wanted sign from the Apostle Paul that we need laborers who are genuinely concerned about the growth of Christians in the body of Christ. In verse 14 through 16, In verse 14 through 16 we see that Paul has told them to make sure that you do all this without grumbling and complaining. Do all what? 
Well, striving together side by side, standing firm in unity, counting others as more significant than yourself and looking out for the interests of others and not just your own. Do all of these things and work out your salvation with fear and trembling and do it without grumbling and without complaining about it. Now listen, I've been here, so I'm not trying to... When I say what I'm fixing to say... I'm not trying to point a finger at you. It's something we have to grow in. But I have been the one that felt like, man, if God takes me away from this church, it'll just crumble. I have been the one that has felt like, I, I feel like I'm the only one that does anything around here. Y'all, anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have to confess this morning, but we got a few, I promise you. And you know what God has slowly taught me over the years? This church is not run and held up by me and by what I do. There have been many pastors in this church that have come and gone. The church still stands. There have been many teachers. There have been many sound people. There have been many media people. There have been many. Now, does that mean that I don't have an important part to play in this church? Absolutely not. I do have an important part to play. But it's important for me to understand that I'm not the only part of this church. And it's important for you to understand that. That each and every one of us is needed. And so it's easy for us to get into a place to where we do what we do, but we do it while grumbling and we do it while complaining about what I have to do. And it's not a genuine concern for the welfare of of the body of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get there in just a minute. So he tells them, he says, Do this without grumbling and complaining, so that you'll be blameless, and you'll be innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And here's why you shine. Look at verse 16. Because you hold fast to the word of life. You shine because when the gospel is preached to you Sunday after Sunday, when you learn about Christ in Sunday school Sunday after Sunday, you shine as lights in the world because you become, you begin to look more like Him. You actually apply what you learn to your life. That is my concern for you as a church. My concern, we've got a lot of people missing this morning. My concern is not that we pack this place out with people. Now, will I be happy if we have more people to minister to? Why, yeah, I'll be happy, but that's not my concern. My concern is that if God only gives me five, that those five will apply to their lives what they learn from the Word of God. A genuine concern for the welfare of the church that they shine as lights in the world because they hold fast to the word of life. And so here what we have, Paul gives us three examples of men in the church that are genuinely concerned about the welfare of the church. He gives us three examples of what a person looks like when they strive side by side. What a person looks like whenever they, um, they stand firm in unity and in truth. What a person looks like when they count others as more significant than themselves. 
Now Jesus, again, we, we did that message three or four weeks ago. Jesus was our highest example. But now Paul brings it down a little bit and he says, let me give you three men, one being himself, Paul, the other being Timothy, and the other being Epaphroditus. And he says, I'm going to give you three examples of what a man looks like or what a Christian looks like. Let me say it that way. Who, let's say it like this, who doesn't seek their own interest, but seeks the interest of Christ. And what did we say the interest of Christ is again? The welfare of the body of Christ. The welfare of the church. That's why Paul was anxious. That's why Paul was concerned. So here's the question I want to answer this morning. What do members who seek the interest of Christ look like? If you're taking notes, that's the question. All of our points are going to answer that question. What do members who seek the interest of Christ look like? Well, let's begin in verse 19 and we'll find the first one as we get into verse 20. But let's read verse 19 again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Here is the first thing that a member who seeks the interest of Christ, this is what he looks like. He looks like someone who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. What does it mean to be genuine? true, to be real. In other words, how many of us have been in church in our life and we only do it because it's just what we do? We go through the motions. I go to church because that's what we do. I I go to church because it's the right thing to do. I go to church because somebody in the church is going to say something to me if I don't show up at church. But I would rather be in my bed. I would rather be sleeping right now. I would rather be golfing this morning. I would rather be fishing this morning. I would rather be in the deer stand hunting this morning. I would rather be horseback riding this morning. I would rather be, you fill in the blank. You see what I'm saying? The point is, the first member that seeks the interest of Christ, he looks like a person that has a genuine, genuine concern for the welfare of the church. Now I want to show you just a few scriptures to where we see that in Paul. First off, look at verse 16 and 17. In verse 16 he says, I want to see you holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be what? Proud. So that in the day of Christ I may be proud. Proud of what? That I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What does he mean here? He means here that he has labored for this Philippian church to be created. It's through his preaching, it's through his ministry that they are who they are. And now he wants to know that they are growing in Christ, that they are becoming the body of Christ so that in the day of Christ, I can be proud of the work that I've done. I can be proud of the investment. He has a healthy fear a healthy fear that when Christ comes back, Paul understands, I was responsible for this church. Or let me say it like this, I was responsible for my part in this church. 
How many of you know that you are responsible for your part in this church? That's one of the things that you can take from the parable of the talents. They were given certain gifts, but they did not use them for, for the welfare of, of the kingdom of God. And because of that, when the king came back, to the ones that had been faithful with it, he gave more. To the ones that were not faithful with what he gave for their part in the body of Christ, he took away even what they had and gave it to the one that was faithful for it. And so what we see here is that Paul had a genuine fear, a healthy fear for the growth of the body of Christ. He understood he was responsible for his part. Look at just a few scriptures to back this up with me. Hold your place. We're going right back to it. 1 Thessalonians, just a couple of books over from where you're at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. If you don't flip there, I'll read it for you. But listen to what Paul says in these writings. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. He's talking to the Thessalonian church here now, okay? So he's still talking to a church. He said, when I couldn't bear it any longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So here again, Paul has a healthy concern for his responsibility over the body of Christ. Look at, if you would, Galatians chapter 2. It's before Philippians, right before Ephesians. Galatians chapter 2. So just a couple of books back and verse 2. And look at what Paul says here. And here he's talking about going up to the church at Jerusalem. He says in verse 2, I went up to this church because of, a, because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now again, what he's talking about here is the church had fallen under a false teaching and they were going backwards. And so he sent and he went up to Jerusalem because he wanted to make sure that the church was going in the right direction lest he would have run in vain. So in other words, what's it going to look like if I stand before God one day and not a single person of Wells Baptist Church ever grew into the image of Christ? What was all my work for? For nothing. And so Paul wants to make sure that the work that he's putting in is accomplishing what it's supposed to. Namely, the growth of the body of Christ. The welfare of the body of Christ. Look at one more with me. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This will be the last one. There's many more. But let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, starting verse 8. And look at the way the Apostle Paul puts it. First Corinthians chapter three, and I do pray that if you if you ain't got a Bible, get your phone out. Sure, you got a Bible on your phone, but be looking at this. You need to see this firsthand. First Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse eight. Look at what he says. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. 
For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So what's he talking about here? The church, right? Alright, keep reading in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation, and someone else is building upon it. But let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, well, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now for many years, many preachers have preached that talking about individuals. And yes, we are individually the temples of God. But what he's talking about here is the church. And he wants you to understand that we all have a part to play. Some lay the foundation, some build, some build with gold, straw, hay, um, uh, silver. And the day is going to prove what kind of work you have done. So in other words, what kind of work I have done in your life is going to be proven in your day of trial or in your day of judgment. So let's say, for instance, that when you go through your next bout of suffering, you fall away from the faith. It proves that the material that I used to build didn't stand. And then he says, I'm going to suffer loss, though I myself will still be saved. But I'll suffer loss. Why will I suffer loss? Because my fruit has been burned up. But if what I build with in your life, if it stands firm and you grow in Christ and your faith in Christ grows and the day of judgment comes and it proves you to be genuine, the Bible says I'll receive a reward. That God is going to reward me and He's going to honor me for my work. And this is true for every member of the church, not just for me. This is true for what you invest in the body of Christ. But the first thing you have to do is have a healthy fear. Like Paul. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, you are the temple of God. And if anyone destroys that temple, what will God do? God will destroy you. Is that not reason to fear? We should have a healthy fear as individual members of the church that we understand... You're not playing with just anybody's body here. This is the body of Jesus Christ. This is the bride of Jesus Christ. And you as members have been entrusted with a stewardship, with a gift that says this is your part in the body of Christ. It may be that your part right now is just that you are growing in your Christ-likeness. And that's your part. That may be it. Or it may be that you have been entrusted with an even greater one. That you're not just building in yourself, but that you are building on the foundation of someone else that has already been laid. 
The point being is that every individual has a part in the body of Christ becoming more like the image of Christ. And maybe our problem is that we don't have a healthy fear that understands we are building God's temple. You're not just building the little pig's house that the wolf's going to come, let me in, let me in. You're not just building anybody's house. You are building God's temple. And so there should be a genuine healthy fear inside of you that says, I want to build right. And I want to have a genuine concern. Why? Because this is the bride of Christ. Listen, do you understand something? Jesus Christ has went away to prepare a place for you, right? And in this time that He is away, He has entrusted to you His wife, His family. And He has said, while I am gone, you take care of her. While I am gone, you grow her. You build her. And here's why. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse... Um, I want you to get, get an idea of how important this church thing is and what we're doing here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. How important was the church to Christ? That, and here's why he gave himself up for her. Listen, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the what? Y'all following with me? Here's the point. We have been entrusted with the stewardship to take the wife of Christ and help her sanctification process. Help her washing and cleansing process so that, let's keep reading in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. What's Jesus looking for when he comes back? He's looking for a bride that's not tarnished but that's been took care of, that's been cleaned up, that's been sanctified, that's being presented to himself in splendor by the washing of the water of the Word. Keep reading with me. <clears throat> 28. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, 
And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Again, here's the point that I'm getting to in all this. We should have a healthy fear of what we've been given responsibility for. And we should be like Paul and say, man, I'm concerned about the church because I don't want my labor to have been in vain. Or maybe there's probably a lot of you here this morning saying, I don't even have any labor. Now again, I'm not saying that to embarrass you. I'm saying that to help you understand maybe you don't recognize that you've been called to something greater than just sitting in the church. And maybe you see in your life that I don't really have labor. I don't know if any work of mine is going to even have a chance to be burned up or, or not burned up because truth of the matter is I'm not investing in anybody. And if that's you, then yes, maybe you'll be saved. Yet it's through fire and no reward. And so there should be a genuine concern in our heart for the welfare of the church because this is Christ's bride. Is it flawed and blemished right now? Why, yeah, it's flawed and blemished. But it's still His bride. And He's coming back to present her to Himself in splendor. What's your job while he's gone away? To help that sanctification process. To help the cleansing of her and the washing of her by the water of the Word. The more you take the Word of Christ and apply it to your life, the more like splendor you become. The more unblemished you become. The more sanctified you become. And so there should be a genuine concern in you because this is Christ's bride and I have a part in making sure that her splendor comes to be. Paul had a genuine concern. Timothy did as well. We see that in verse 20. He said, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's the reason why Paul was so happy to be able to send Timothy soon because he knows Timothy has the same heart for the church that Paul has. And Paul wants more people to have a heart for the church the way that he has. And Timothy has this, so he wants to send him. And Epaphroditus had it too. That's the reason Paul decided to send Epaphroditus instead of Timothy. Because he knew... Now Epaphroditus is the guy that Philippi sent to Paul to check on Paul, to give him the gift. And now Paul has spent some time with him, teaching him and training him. And now he sees Epaphroditus' love for the church and he says, I'm going to send him back to you so that I can be cheered because I know that he has a love for you. He longs for you. He longs for your, for your well-being. He even got so upset when, when y'all heard that he was sick. He didn't want the church worrying about him because he counted them as more significant than himself. So that's the first thing. What's the second thing that, um, that we see in members who seek the interest of Christ? Here's number two. They are willing to sacrifice themselves for the church. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for the church. Where do I see this at? Well, start in verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
Timothy, Paul, and Epaphroditus were willing to sacrifice their own interest because the interests of Jesus were more important to them than any interest in this world. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. Back up and notice what Paul said about, the, about um, them holding fast to the Word. He said, verse 17, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now I don't have time to go back to the Old Testament and show you this, but I'll just put it to you like this. There was an offering they did to top off the offering of the lamb or the, whatever the sacrificial offering was that they put in. The most important offering was the offering of atonement, right? And so when they would in the Old Testament offer a lamb or whatever it was for atonement, then they would come at the end and literally they would take a drink of sometimes. Sometimes it was honey, sometimes it was wine. It depends on what it was. But they would take the drink and they would literally go over and on top of the sacrifice, they would pour it out as a drink offering. Now, we know it today from, uh, we see the, the dummies um, drinking their liquor today and they, when they get about half drunk, they say, I'm going to pour one out for my homies. That's what we know it as. But literally, it came from a drink offering that was sacrificed on the greater offering of atonement. And so what Paul says here is this, even though my life may have to be sacrificed, it's nothing but a drink offering in comparison to the offering of your faith. And I'm happy to do it. My sacrifice that I make as pastors, early Sunday mornings, late Wednesday nights, uh, counseling late or whatever else y'all heard this morning, whatever sacrifices I have to make, they're just a drink offering in comparison to the offering of your faith. That's my greater concern. It's the offering of your faith unto God. And Paul is saying here, I will gladly sacrifice myself and my interests in order to make sure that your faith grows, in order to make sure that the bride of Christ grows. Look with me. I've got several other scriptures. We're not going to go there for sake of time this morning, but look at me at verse 22 and look at what uh, it says about Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. So here we see that not only was Paul willing to sacrifice himself, but Timothy, just like a son following in his father's footsteps, he does the same thing. Timothy is happy to not seek his own interests, but seek the interests of Jesus Christ. And he is willing to sacrifice himself for it. Epaphroditus, look at verse 29 and 30. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here is the quality that you see in all three of these men and when they seek the interests of Christ and not their own, they sacrifice themselves and their interests for the welfare of the church. And my question is this. What will you sacrifice for the church? I'm not talking about Wales Baptist Church. I'm talking about what do you sacrifice for the body of Christ that meets in this place? 
What are you willing? Are, are you even willing to sacrifice sleep? Are you willing to sacrifice time? Are you willing to sacrifice a sport? Are you willing to sacrifice um, uh, financial things? Are you will- I don't care what it is. My question is, are you the kind of member that is only concerned about your own interests and you come to church just to come to church? Or are you the kind of members that Paul wants and that are needed in the church today that understand this is the body of Christ, this is the wife of Christ that I have been entrusted with and I am willing to sacrifice to make sure that her faith is growing. You know, I made a a statement a minute ago. And I know we ain't got a lot of people here this morning. Brother Ken back there said he wanted to meet with people about teachers for a Wednesday night. Just people to teach kids. But I guarantee you that there is many hearts in here that say, well, I'd like to do that, but man, I just don't really know if I want to come on Wednesday night. Y'all know I'm telling the truth, don't you? I mean, it's Wednesday. I already come on, already come and listen to this dummy preach for a whole hour on Sunday morning. Ain't an hour out of my week enough sacrifice for the good Lord? I mean, that's all he's really worth anyway, right? Don't sound as good when I say it like that, does it? And so. And I'm not talking to y'all that are already sacrificing because here's the problem I have. God bless people like Doris because she'll be the first one in the corner over here today saying, I'll do it. And you know what? She's already doing it. I'm talking about folks that ain't doing nothing. I'm talking about folks that say, yes, I'm willing to sacrifice because I understand that I'm doing this. And while I'm talking to teachers and preachers and deacons and lay members and hospitality members and and, uh, finance members and whatever else, while I'm talking to you, don't just do your job to fill a position. Amy Durham is not in a classroom on Sunday morning just because she's got a few kids that will show up and she's got to just go through a lesson. I want to see teachers that say, this is my part with the bride of Christ. And I want to give it my all. I want to see see her knocking the door down to the budget and finance committee saying, I need this and I need this and I need this because if I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability, I need this. And I want to see the budget and finance committee sweating, t- sweating drops they ain't never sweat before because they don't know how in the world they're going to be able to support all the members that, that are so genuinely concerned for the bride of Christ and her growing that they're trying to do everything they can to do the best that they can with their jobs. So again, I'm, I'm not just, we're not saying interested in workers alone. We're talking about workers who seek the interest of Jesus Christ and they understand this is my role in the body. See, let's just be honest. Most of us are more like Lot's wife. That's the truth. I'm not saying that to to make you mad at me. Listen, let's just have a self-evaluation here right now. You'll You'll sacrifice everything to go pay your electric bill, won't you? 
How many hours a week do you sacrifice to be able to pay an electric bill to make sure you have air conditioning, make sure you have heat, make sure you have a roof over your head, make sure your kids have every toy they could possibly want, to make sure your kids play every sport they want to play, to make sure your kids have the best clothes, to make sure your kids have shoes on their feet. And, are, and am I saying that we shouldn't do that? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that that's what it meant to be Lot's wife. She was more focused on those interests than she was on the interests of the one that was bringing her out of it. What I'm saying to you this morning is when we read these scriptures and Jesus gives the warning and says, Hey guys, remember Lot's wife. We might want to take note of that. And we might want to take an evaluation and just question whether or not our interests are for the interests of Christ or are our interests for our own interests in this world. So again, I'm not just saying this this morning just to try. Uh, Ken handed me this message about different needs for what we need before, uh, right before I walked in here to do the announcements. I didn't put this message together for that. No. This is what the Word of God says. I'm telling you this morning, God, through Christ Jesus, is telling us, I want people in our church that genuinely care and are concerned for the bride of Christ that He's coming back for. That are genuinely concerned that our children shine as lights in the world and that our adults shine as lights in the world as they go to their jobs and we are striving for that side by side, standing in unity, helping each other to do that so that when Jesus comes back, we didn't run in vain. Our work stood the test and we'll be rewarded and the bride will be presented with splendor. I ain't going to have time to finish this message, as always. Well, I don't know why that's anything. Nothing new, right? <clears throat> All right, number three. I'll go through these a little quicker. Number three. These kind of people are not just preachers and teachers and missionaries and deacons. No, they're regular old members. They're regular old Joes just like you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Epaphroditus down here, <clears throat> you know, he wasn't an elder in the church of Philippi. Wasn't a deacon. As far as we know, he wasn't a, a Sunday school teacher. As far as we know, Epaphroditus was the guy that they said, hey, he ain't got nothing else to do here. <laughs> so here's what we'll do. We need to send a gift to Paul. We need somebody to go check on Paul over in Rome a thousand miles away by chariots and boats and walking and everything else. So here's what we'll do. We'll send old Epaphroditus. This is not anybody special. And you want to know what Epaphroditus said when they come to him? He didn't say, well, I guess I'm expendable. <laughs> That's not what he said. He wasn't offended at all. He said, I'll go. Yeah, if the body of Christ needs me, I'll do it. If I, can, if I can serve, I'll do it. Does that mean Epaphroditus was the strongest one and could fight off all the robbers he's going to go across and he could swim the strongest in case the ship wrecked on the way? No. No, the truth of the matter is Epaphroditus is just a regular old Joe. But he loved the church. 
And when an opportunity come up to serve, he said, hey, I may not be the strongest, I may not be the best, I may not be everything that a Paul or a Timothy is, but I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. And that's the kind of heart that God is looking for in the church. It's somebody that, that just is not necessarily a preacher, a teacher, a missionary, a deacon, but they are genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. Number four. They come in all ages and backgrounds. They come in all ages and backgrounds. The Apostle Paul was raised by Jewish parents and if you were to go over to Philippians chapter 3, just one chapter over from where we're at, Paul gives you his pedigree. Paul lays out who he is. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Pharisee. I was the, and so Paul was the top of the top, raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Literally trained by the best, the best education, the best parents, the best pedigree in the Hebrew tribes. That was Paul. Timothy, on the other hand, Timothy was raised by his mother and his grandmother. Jewish converts to Christianity, but a Greek father. So he lived in a divided house. One side, his father's side was pagan. His mother and his grandmother's side was Christian. He's raised up in a, in a broken, split home. Yet Paul comes and he takes him on as a son in the faith. So their backgrounds are completely different. Then old Epaphroditus. Anybody recognize anything about Greek mythology in his name? Epaphroditus. Aphrodite. His name is a name that is, it literally means belonging to Aphrodite. Literally, when he was born, his parents named him that he and his life would be devoted to the goddess Aphrodite. The goddess of sex, the goddess of war, the goddess of reproduction. Do you know how most of them worshipped him, worshipped her? And so the point being is this. All three of these guys come into the church with different backgrounds. These aren't people that were raised up, every one of them in the church, and they were Christians ever since they were kids. No, the truth of the matter is these guys come from completely different backgrounds. So it's not just that you have always been brought up in the church and that's the reason why you are the way you are. No, they come from all types of different ages, backgrounds. Listen, Paul called himself a father to Timothy. Timothy, he said, don't let anyone despise your, what, youth. Timothy was a young man. And so we don't see that this has to do with just because you don't have to be 80 years old to get dedicated to the Lord, to get genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. You don't have to have just retired from your job to say, okay, now I'm going to get dedicated to the church. Wrong. You would be willing to say, I'm willing to sacrifice right now. Because I'm sure willing to get up and sacrifice every morning to go make sure I have a paycheck every Friday. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Number five. I'll go through these last two very quickly. They see other members in the church rightly. Look at verse 25. They see other members in the church rightly. He says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger and your minister to my need. 
He sees, he sees Epaphroditus as a brother, literally belonging to his family. He sees Epaphroditus as a co-worker, literally they work toward the same goal. He sees Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. They fight the same fight against the same enemy. Now I want you to think about the person in this church right now that you can't stand the most. For some of you, it's your spouse, so don't look at them right now. Whoever it is, it ain't for me. I'm just saying, for some of y'all it is. But whoever it is, you think of that member in this body that, 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 that just you just can't take it. You, just can't, you, you separate yourself as far from him as you can get. Let me say to you this morning, if they're in Christ... They're your brother. They're your sister. They are your co-worker in this thing. And they are a fellow soldier fighting the same fight that you are fighting against the same enemy that you fight. And if you are genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church, you will see other members in the church rightly, no matter where they come from, no matter who they are. Last one, number six, they're few and far between. Look at verse 20 and 21. We'll back up to there again. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Literally, they are few and far between. I know that even after this message this morning, that 90 Eight to 99% are going to walk out of here and they're still going to sacrifice themselves to the world. I know that. But I'm just believing that the Word of God is going to wash some this morning. The Word of God is going to cleanse some. And I'm just... I'm just naive enough to believe that God will accomplish His purpose when He sends out His Word. And I believe this morning that even though they are few and far between, that the Lord Jesus Christ even said, Look, the fields are white with harvest, but the laborers are what? Few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He'd send forth laborers. It's His harvest. And so... I truly believe this morning that God's going to raise up laborers, people that don't just seek their own interest, but seek the interest of Jesus Christ and those interests being the welfare of the church of Jesus Christ. In closing, the Word of God tells us today that church, the church needs members that seek the interest of Christ. Christians who are genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church, the bride of Christ, Members who are willing to gladly sacrifice themselves for the church and its work. And so no matter what part you play this morning, go all in. Go all in. Lest any work you do at all be burned up and be completely in vain. And the truth of the matter is you're doing it all for nothing. Go all in. You teach the best that you can teach with every resource you can find. You preach with everything you can preach with every resource you can find. You be hospitable with every ounce of love that you have in you. You serve with everything that you've got. You pray like no, for, for the church like nobody has ever prayed. 
You come together and you genuinely seek the heart of what other folks here have on their heart to pray for and you pray together with them. You hold each other accountable. You do everything that you can do for the sanctity of the church, for the washing and the cleansing of the bride of Christ by the washing of His Word. And you do your part so that when He returns, this church is presented to Him in splendor as a growing church, as a church that has become more like Him and it glories in His name. And whatever part you find to play, you never quit looking for a part to play in the body of Christ. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. Pastor or Sunday school director or whoever, what do you got for me? Is there something else I can do? Is there another place I can serve? And again, I hope you see this morning, this ain't a pastor up here. The truth of the matter is, this is in God's hands. Do I have a desire that this take place? Why, yeah. I hope everybody in here comes and says, I can't wait to play a part somewhere. But the fact of the matter is, this is God's church. He's told me what my part is, and I'm going to do my part. But I trust Him that He put the pieces in place where they need to be, so I'm not up here trying to preach something to try to make something happen. No. The truth of it is, it's just like I've always told you. All I did was went to what was next in the Word of God. Right? You know, that's what's so beautiful about preaching the way that we do and just going with the Word of God. I don't have to try to sit up here and come up with my own words. I don't have to get up here and try to teach you something that, that I have to muster up and try to make happen. All I have to do is say, Hey church, thus says the Lord. And then all you have to do is say, Yes sir, or no sir. And then that's on you. So it's my prayer this morning that you heard the word of God and that you'll respond to the Word of God and that you will become a member of the church that seeks the interest of Jesus Christ and you're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes in order to, to fulfill that purpose.